Cities produce more than 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Big cities get a lot of attention, but most household emissions in the U.S. actually come from communities outside urban cores, making them critical players in climate mitigation and climate justice. City Climate Corner explores how these small and mid-sized cities are tackling climate change and moving toward an equitable and sustainable future. I'm Abby Finnis. And I'm Larry Kraft. We're co-hosts for City Climate Corner. Hey, Abby. Hey, Larry. So today, I think, is going to be our first Europe episode. Why are we doing an episode about Europe? Well, if you are not caught up on our past episodes, I took a little trip over to Europe. So I went to the Netherlands and Germany and Spain to check out some work that different cities are doing around climate action. And today we are speaking with folks from ICLE Europe. One of the cities that I visited was Freiburg, which happens to be the headquarters for Italy Europe. And I have to say, Abby, I love, this was certainly a, a work-related trip, but it was also kind of a vacation-y thing you were planning. And I just love that for a vacation-y thing, you're out looking at green infrastructure and marveling at, at uh, water squares and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, what a nerd. <laughs> um, no, it was a pretty good adventure and a good way to see at least this part of Europe. I met up with my brother in Rotterdam, and we just took the train from city to city. And while we were in those cities, we pretty much used bike and transit and a lot of walking. So we got in our steps. I think my watch was pretty disappointed in me when I came back here. So um, <laughs> it was a really fun way to to see these cities and and. I got to speak with folks in pretty much all of the all of the cities that I went to, and then we'll do some interviews with several of them. Now, this first one though is with Ikle, or in the U.S. Ikle, who's been a partner of ours throughout the podcast. They helped a lot as well with this, with making connections and stuff, right? Yeah, I was very fortunate to make the connection with Ikle Europe. Big thank you to uh, Meritzel there, who not only connected me with people within Ickley, but also in other cities. It was really great to be able to meet up with folks there and really appreciate them taking the time. I had a couple connections in Freiburg, and if you've listened before, I love the city of Freiburg. This conversation is more general about some of the work that Ickley is doing around Europe, and then we'll have another one specifically on Freiburg. Yeah, that's right. I really enjoyed talking to Holger. He seems to have such an interesting view of having seen so much over the past number of years in Europe. Yeah. And it's timely too. I was there in, in early June. And since that time, there's been unrelenting heat waves that have been hitting that part of Europe as well. Right. Yeah. And he talks a bit about that. Mm -hmm. Let's give it a listen. Let's do it. Today, we are speaking with Holger Robrecht, who is the Deputy Regional Director of Sustainable Resources, Climate and Resilience with ICLE Europe. Welcome to City Climate Corner. Can we start by having you introduce yourself? Well, you started off by uh, telling my name. I'm a, a spatial planner, if that is of interest, from background. Uh, and for more than 30 years, I've been working in the area of environmental issues related to urban development. And actually 25 years back now, I joined ICLE Europe for this exactly that reason, to work on environmental management and sustainability management issues um, in an urban context. 
Meanwhile, of course, my area of uh, work has expanded a little bit and uh, you outlined um, what my team is working on. We do work with all the natural resource management aspects of sustainable urban development. I potentially should say that ECLEI is a global association of local governments that strive to improve global sustainability conditions by their cumulative local action. Cumulative hints at the fact that we are a network and that our cities like to work together. And the understanding of improving global sustainability conditions uh, translates into the motto, think globally, act locally, which essentially is an eclaim motto. We were just speaking before we started recording, and I think it's important for context setting and why we're all doing this work. But um, when I was out visiting in Freiburg and, and speaking with you, you know, shortly thereafter, you were going to go on holiday and we just asked you about your holiday and how it was. Can you tell us about that and why that context is important maybe for not just our conversation, but also the work that we are all doing? Well, factually, when we go for holidays, we find ourselves in situations uh, that present uh, the state of environment very immediately to us. And it connects very much also uh, our habits, our consumption habits and our lifestyle with uh, the environmental effects that we cause. In my holidays, I was exposed to a heat wave and wildfires. Um, I think this is what in European context people will experience by and large wherever they go because we have wildfires in all parts of Europe in this year. Last year, potentially, uh, people could have experienced floods uh, everywhere because we had severe rainfalls in major parts of Europe. And step by step, we start to understand that we cause climate change by the way that we live. I really appreciate that perspective. As you're seeing the wildfires and droughts there, it reminds us that last summer we were experiencing wildfires around here, and I actually had my holiday canceled because where I was going was subject to wildfire and smoke. But can we shift and can you provide us a bit of background on Eclay Europe and how it came to be? Yeah, Eclay Europe uh, is a baby, of course, of Eclay World. This baby is now 30 years old. It was launched in 1992 and it followed the foundation of Eclay Local Governments for Sustainability. By then, it was Eclay, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, which unfolds the acronym to you. But um, in 2003, we have turned into an organization that is focusing on all the aspects of sustainable urban development. ICLE was founded prior to the Rio Summit on Environment and Development. In that summit, the states of the world agreed on the what is called the Rio Agenda, and that we can call the foundational document for the world tackling the challenges of a sustainable development. There is a chapter 28 in there, uh, and this chapter 28 says that uh, we need to have local agendas, that it is the local administrations and local authorities that need to develop um, in a participatory manner local agendas in order to address issues like climate protection then and sustainable development and ensure that we have local agenda action plans established in order to tackle the challenges for the future. 
And this is why Eclay was founded, because we actually, um, uh, cities that met at the UN premises in New York felt that there was a need for a network and organization that takes care of that mandate. Uh, and that was the foundation of, of Eclay. And two years later, Eclay was launching the office in Europe. Meanwhile, we have, I believe, 16 or 17 uh, secretariats around the world, always with a particular regional focus. Yeah, we're, we're quite familiar with, in the US, we would call it Iclay, or no, Iclay. <laughs> so you, you talk about sustainability being a big focus, and it seemed that over time that's evolved or become even more of a focus on climate and resilience. What are some of the programs that are offered to help cities in Europe implement action? Well, if I can correct you, climate protection was one of the two founding pillars of Quickly. <laughs> this was in the Rio agenda. So it was climate protection and it was local agenda 21. Um, the resilience aspect or climate adaptation aspect that came into the picture only around 2006, 2008, when the global community understood that we are already experiencing climate change. And whereas we need to continue our ambitions and activities to halt climate change, we also need to get prepared for the consequences that we cannot avoid anymore. And then climate adaptation uh, came into the, the international agenda, but also many of our members have requested ECLAY to work uh, on climate adaptation. And that evolved into, in a broader sense, a resilience activity, uh, as we also understood that shocks and stresses are not only coming from climate change, but still it is obviously a very important focus of the resilience agenda. ECLAY works uh, on all aspects of sustainable urban development, so all the urban development sectors that you could think of always have, of course, an impact. We look at, um, in a broader sense, in an integrated manner, at urban development from a sustainability angle. And um, more narrowly, in my team, with the responsibility, sustainable resources, climate and resilience, we deal with the natural resource management aspects of urban development. That is very much an infrastructure related activity, uh, because this is where basically we uh, create the biggest impact on the uh, natural resources. And there is a big need for that. Uh, we understand if we look just one day back when uh, we uh, got the news that we have overshoot day uh, 2022, that was exactly yesterday, that the day that we overshoot our resources available for our lifestyle in 2022. That is a task. When you say natural resources, let's go one level below that. What do you specifically mean? Well, our life is based definitely on natural resources. It cannot get without. Whatever we do, and if we want to satisfy our human needs, and this is one of the tasks of local governments, to offer services, hopefully efficient services, high-quality services, in order to cater for our demands and human needs then we basically uh, always use natural resources and turn that into some kind of good for us. It might be a product, it might be a service. Now we talk about over the internet, we use energy, we have facilities that have had to be produced, and they are all produced by using natural material. 
natural resources and we always have an impact. That is exactly the point also for urban development. When we decide to build infrastructures, we decide to interfere with nature. We like it or not, that's the case. Either in the sense that we use nature in order to feed ourselves or think of water, think of clean air, think of the energy that we use, think of the food that we have hopefully every day and all of us, and it should be clean, it should be of good quality. This is where and how we use nature. And of course, we release emissions into nature. We just talked about climate, and this is part of it, that we release CO2 emissions and other climate-relevant material substances emissions into nature. We can talk about the same thing when looking at waste, material waste, when we excavate uh, material in order to produce cement for roads or buildings. This is where always natural resources come into the picture. And we can we have decisions. We can decide to do it this or that way. And I hinted at the overshoot day yesterday. Of course, we can decide to be very material heavy or we can decide to be more smart and intelligent and more sustainably oriented. Hey, we're taking a quick break to say if you like what you're hearing, please support us. You can do so by clicking the support us link on our website at cityclimatecorner.com or you can go to our store and get some cool merch. I'm familiar with some of the programs that ICLE in the U.S. offers. How do you work with cities? Is there technical assistance you provide, peer-to-peer connections? How, how do you work with them? All of that. Um, Igle is a strange animal. Uh, we are, as I said, a network of cities. We are a political actor. We do advocate for better working conditions and framework conditions for cities to do their work within. And their work within is always with a view to improving the sustainable development conditions, as I said in the beginning. So we do act in a multi-level governance framework. We act with all the relevant institutions. In Europe, we have, of course, the European Union-related institutions, but then there is many others, the um, EU investment banks, for example, the private sector, other federations, other associations that all help to think of of the best way to make Europe a climate-neutral continent by 2050. But how would that work? Uh, it only can work if it goes through the implementation of projects, infrastructures, uh, infrastructure development at city level. And here, our attention turns to give support to cities, to the best of our knowledge, ability and expertise, to help improving and adapting, and if you wish so, make their structures resilient in order to be able then to stand that challenge to become climate neutral or climate resilient in the next foreseeable future. That is helping them with their processes and procedures. That is more systemic. It is more institutional. It addresses the management sphere. It is very technical. In my team, I have 35 people uh, that are technical experts in their doings. That is architects, that is infrastructure people, that is energy people. I have water engineers in my team. And we are able and do offer 
direct services to, to cities in order to help improve their projects. Of course, they will not give an assignment, a contract to ECLA to do the intervention. This is other companies doing that. But we can help to set up the criteria. We can help to orientate the projects in a way that they fit to the uh, sustainability and climate ambitions the cities, the city councils, but also the communities would, would have. So that is the second layer. We do that in technical service assistance, as you say, but also we do offer numerous different types of platforms, different formats uh, for them to exchange, peer-to-peer -peer exchange. We organize larger and smaller type of events. We do offer trainings on the ground, but we also have online uh, capacity development programs. I just named one, Urban by Nature, which is an, an online capacity development program that cities, but also other professionals can use around the world to understand how nature-based solutions and green infrastructure can help the implementation of sustainable urban development. So there is numerous types and it goes up to the point that we engage in international but also European and national standardization to turn innovative solutions that we develop together with partners in research and innovation projects into solutions that can be picked up, replicated, mainstreamed in other uh, cities and towns in Europe, but also globally. Could you tell us about some of the development standards? And I think maybe this relates back to the multi-levels of governments that are involved. And you have these standards that are set that then can be implemented down at, at the local level. And, and how does that all work together? Essentially, of course, standardization is an, is an interesting field. And often I'm, I'm asked, why do you engage in standard development? And I should say that this is really a formal standard. So we do work with the international and European standardization organizations like ISO, IEC, ITU, and at European level, SEN, Senelec, and ETSI, which are always built from the perspective of international trade. This is the whole idea of standardization, that solutions can actually be brought to market that can be taken up in different regional markets without hindrances. So that is the original idea. But in recent years, and definitely latest uh, with the London Declaration of the International Standardization Organizations, that basically take a view that standards, international standards, need to support the Paris Agreement and our climate ambitions, the whole standardization world turns. And I would always say that this is a true game changer because the logic is not anymore just to support international markets or international trade, but it takes a political view to support international trade in the context of supporting the Paris Agreement and our below two degrees uh, ambitions. This is a game changer in my view. So what we do, and ECLE started this work 10 years back in 2012 with an engagement uh, in an ISO committee that is called Sustainable Cities and Communities. We have collated the experiences and practices of cities uh, and brought these to the attention of uh, the international standardization bodies, the technical committees that we engage with. We basically bring to the attention of international standardization that there is a practice at local level 
that can be turned into an international standard because it's actually cutting edge, it's high quality sustainability work. This, I believe truly has changed the quality and also the perspective of standards that by then only have been developed from the idea of what is the best technical solution that can be brought to market. So now we have a demand perspective rather than a supply perspective in international standard development. And that is a second game changer. And the different types of standards that we do support are management related, so procedural standards that help to improve the management procedures in alignment with the idea that they need to support sustainable development. And then we uh, have a language issue because local governments don't necessarily speak as a private sector partners, but in the international standards, we can create sort of a level playing field and uh, a language that is reference for both sides. At the end of the day, it's the public authorities that issue procurement processes and refer to the international standards, and then things make sense. We also do engage in technical or technological standards, but not in the depths. More recently, for example, we have started to engage in standard development for what is called the local digital twin, which is decision support systems based on uh, open data platforms that mirror the protocols in city arenas. This is then more technical, but at the end of the day, it's always in support of the sustainability ambitions, as I mentioned before. I think that you laid out some areas where cities are really important and, and really important to be at the table and part of the conversation as the world is, is looking to solutions. But why are cities such critical actors in and of themselves to implement climate action for resilience and mitigation? Well, we can argue they are not very relevant because they only occupy 2% or not even 2% of the surface of planet Earth. But if we look at the 75% of GDP that is created in cities and the 75 to, I don't know, perhaps 80% of emissions created in cities, we understand uh, that it is an issue, uh, of course. For a long time, we look at, uh, at cities as part of the problem, but at the same time, part of the solution, because that is also the space where innovation is created. Uh, we do have centers of excellence of knowledge in uh, urban areas and more and more we see that uh, there is clusters that develop in the knowledge developing context that really create excellence and and this is uh, depending to a certain extent also on urban infrastructures and systems that's basically the reason why it is worthwhile to look at cities there is a second part which is a more political part that often cities uh, uh, city officials and more and more particularly also mayors, they engage in global policymaking and they are heard meanwhile, and they uh, are very confident and they are very proud of the role that cities can play. And if you uh, listen to UN officials and if you listen to, to national governments, you always hear it is the cities and towns that will make a difference. There is the place where we implement, where we interfere with the uh, systems that we have created. Uh, and this is where we invest at the end of the day also a whole lot of money. And city size, we talked about where you said small cities can be shiny giants. 
how important are, are smaller cities? Well, in, in my view, very, very important. For a long time in my professional life, I've been working uh, with quite small cities uh, and I always have experienced them as uh, the ones that can move very quickly, you know, like a, a small boat as opposed to a big tanker. They can drive experiments. And I have often heard uh, representatives of bigger cities that sometimes are seen to be the quality cities that can make a change or so. But they look at the small cities as their kind of laboratory. And if things work in cities like Växjö in Sweden, 75,000 inhabitants or so, or Ludwigsburg in Germany or others, they think, okay, we can try it out and scale it up at the level of a city of a uh, size of London or so. So this is where the small cities definitely come into the picture. The bigger the city is, the more difficult it is also to get all the structures behind and the mandate to really implement things unless they have proven to be successful. Can you share with us a couple of examples where you've seen big success or big impact in, in cities? I'll give you one example that is a very constructive example. I think about 12 years back in the city of Vexel, which I mentioned before, is one of my champions because I was working so closely with them for a long time. As part of a project that we established then, they have actually built a wooden high-rise building in Vexel. So wooden buildings in Europe are somewhat difficult because um, of our history. We have many cities that burned down in the 19th century because of big fires and because of the fact that many buildings were wooden buildings. Then uh, we learned that we need to change and get away from concrete and do something different with the material. But at the same time, we wanted to be highly energy efficient. And Vector has then said, okay, we go back to our roots and build something in wooden style, uh, away from concrete, uh, but high end and definitely the level of technology that was to be achieved uh, 10 years back or 12 years back. So they thought of all the rules that they have to change. They thought of the security aspects necessary. And they shaped the material so that it was standing all the fire rules that they had in Sweden. And they built a passive house that by then was definitely high-end energy efficient. That was the first in, in Europe, actually, in that moment. Others and other cities have looked at it. And now you see in many other cities also such buildings that are even bigger, that are more complex, but they basically live on the experience that Vectri has created. There are many other examples like those. Can you, the, the name of that city in Sweden, can you spell it? <laughs> I don't want to forget because I would definitely not get it right. <laughs> oh, it's, it's actually funny you say that because uh, people from Växjö always make fun of the fact that non-Swedes cannot really pronounce the name of the city. If you translate it, it's actually the way by the lake. Huh. Oh, nice. So it's V, and then you have an A-E combination in German, umlaut, E, and then you have an X, J, and O-E again. Oh, yeah, I would have got that. 
Yeah, you would not have been able to spell that. Oh, come on, Abby. <laughs> I wouldn't have to write it down for this. <laughs> but I'm going to work on pronouncing it, though. <laughs> they are also be happy if people pronounce it like Vecchio, which is more the Italian style. I like the way by the lake. That resonates with us here in Minnesota. Yeah, nice. We have lots of lakes. That's a nice name. Well, this has been great. What advice would you have for cities in Europe and really anywhere around the world that are in this time right now working to reduce emissions and adapt to this, some of the things we talked about before, this changing planet? Uh, start small and end up effective. So start wherever. It doesn't really matter, in my view, as long as you get started, because that seems to be the, the most difficult thing to do, uh, to just get going. And um, there is actually so much experience, so many tools available that can help to structure processes, that can help to prioritize, that can help to identify the appropriate solution, be it a technical, technological, a nature-based, a socially-based solution, or to uh, to access funding and financing, which, which is always a difficult thing. And the question you'd be asked in the beginning, oh, how can we finance that and who will pay for it and all the rest of it? But at the end of the day, I think it is the mindset, get it going, that is the most important. And it is not even important if you start by a certain sector. You could start by the building sector, housing. You could start by mobility. What is the opportunity available? I think that is very important because cities have their investment circles. They have their innovation circles. They have their development circles. And likewise, also the private sector has circles to drive innovation, for example. And there is always a window of opportunity that opens exactly for that reason. No, there is a political decision-making process. There is a plan that has to be renewed. There is an infrastructure that needs renovation. Use the opportunity as it appears. It will be good, though, to have a plan in the background. And this plan, ICLE can help to develop. I like that. It reminds me of a phrase we have, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes. Get started, take action. Yes. And then learn. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you, Holger. This was really, really great. So thank you for, for joining us. No, pleasure is on my side. Uh, it's lovely to, to talk to you. And I could go on forever. <laughs> All right, Abby, what were your takeaways? Well, I just have so much appreciation for Holger and his views on local action. And, you know, he's been in it for several decades and is doing really good work. And I think that there's a lot to be learned, not just from European cities, but just kind of that structure that I think we don't always have here. It's very distributed and there's some cities that are really far out ahead, but there's no real federal leadership. There's no continental leadership even over here. It's just really interesting, I think, to hear about the ways in which those different levels of government are working together and that cities have had a better seat at the table and have been able to be a voice in some of these conversations about what needs to be done for climate change. Yeah, one of the things along those lines that I jotted down was when he was talking about development standards and how he said that they are linked to the goals of the Paris Agreement, which, okay, duh, makes sense. And we don't have those conversations here. 
No, we jump in and out of the Paris Agreement at the will of whoever is the president, I guess. So, yeah, we don't. We don't have that. I mean, I think maybe perhaps where we get closest is with the building codes and energy standards that are in place there. And I think that we have seen war cities, sustainability folks try to come to the table there. And I think what I also was meaning was that there when he says, well, we link it to the Paris Agreement and it's mm-hmm. very real and present for them. If we were to make an argument here of we need to do these building and energy codes to link to the Paris Agreement, it wouldn't have the same weight, unfortunately, I think. Yeah. And when I was speaking with Polgar in, in Freiburg, you know, he actually brought up Agenda 21 and I laughed a little and he was like, oh, I know, I know that it's kind of a taboo word in, in the States. And yeah, whether it's the Paris Agreement or Agenda 21 or anything like European, people don't really want to hear that here. And so we have to navigate different ways, I think, or kick that hornet's nest. (laughs) Yeah. You talked about his view on cities. Small cities can move quickly, drive experimentation. Just our Flagstaff episode recently is a great example of that. They're out there trying stuff. And thank goodness we've got people trying this stuff. And we'll see if it works. Or yeah, There's certainly some argue on both sides of this, but boy, you don't learn stuff unless you try it. Yeah. And just having the cities that are willing to go out there and and try it and then have the demonstrations, have real life example of how these different things get implemented, then allows other cities to see that it can be done in their community as well. And I think Europe is a bit ahead of us in a number of ways and more sustainable urbanization. And of course, part of that is due to the density it's due to developing parts of different countries before cars. And so they have some advantages there, but they also have, I think, more political will, more will of citizens. You know, one thing we didn't really talk about with Italy was a major component, I think, of the original thought was to have more citizen-based engagement, really bringing people in. And what do you want your cities to look like? The other thing for cities here, especially if you think about the time period from 2016 to 2020, 2021, was there was no federal leadership on it. Mm -hmm. So the leadership came from cities and, and some states. That struck me as something that made me different here than in Europe. Definitely. In either case, there's examples of cities doing the work. In Europe, you have the additional support of multiple levels of government. And here it's really been driven, as you say, by the local level. And we'll probably hit on this, but as we're recording this, you know, it's a day after the announcement that there may actually be an agreement on on a bill that includes some major climate funding. There's funding and we invest in clean energy and we invest in reducing emissions, but there's not a federal goal. There's not that guidance. And so it's going to continue to be cities out in front, states, I think, as well, and um, demonstrating that leadership. I appreciate that you asked him about his holiday and his perspective that we're all going to experience this on our holidays. And that drove it home to me if last year ours was canceled because of a climate impact. I mean, you have to really work hard to ignore it. Right. And everybody's holiday or vacation might be a little bit different, but 
it doesn't matter, you know, if you're going on holiday to a city and there's a heat wave or if you're going camping and there's wildfires, you're going to feel the consequences or you might feel them at home too. Nowhere is safe. That's why we've, we've got to continue to act with more urgency and, and more pace. Yeah. I'll close on one thing. You know, we talked briefly about the this new federal climate inflation bill. Hopefully it will get us in the ballpark of where we need to go. But I think it's also going to even heighten the need for cities and states to now up their game to actually get there. But it seems to give us a fighting chance. Yeah. And I think that up their game or give them the boost they need. He said pretty clearly, you got to take advantage of the opportunities when they come to. This is going to be a huge opportunity. Line up what your projects are, put a wish list together. And when that federal money comes in, leverage those dollars and try to make it go as far as it can go. Yeah, that's a really good point. We hope you enjoyed this episode of City Climate Corner. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe and give us a review. If you're able, become a monthly supporter through Patreon. As always, you can find more information on this topic and resources from each episode's guests on our webpage, cityclimatecorner.com. If you have an idea for the show, send us an email at cityclimatecorner at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. City Climate Corner is produced by Abby Finnis and me, Larry Kraft. Edited by me. Our production assistant is Maggie Morin. Music by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.